Reed, how often do you use the phone? To actually call people? A fair amount, but it's only people that are expecting my call and or family members. So that aligns with the study that was done just recently that says that nearly 90% of customers won't answer their phone anymore. Oh, yeah. No, I don't answer my phone. I only dial out. They asked actually in this survey why customers are avoiding phone calls from businesses and phone numbers. Well, one of them on here, almost 31% say that phone calls are intrusive. I'll tell you what's intrusive is people that take phone calls on speakerphone. Who are these people? Just like in a public setting. I'm like, hey. I don't want to answer my own phone calls. I sure don't want to listen to yours. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to another episode of Touchpoint, episode number 154. 154, we're into the new year. Again, this is Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. Hello, Reed. We're solidly into the new decade at this point and look forward to what is to come. Uh, And I'll tell you what's to come. We actually have some new shows launching on the network. So more about that before you know it. But would love for everyone to check out a little bit more about this show, a little bit more about the others that are currently on the network. You can do that over at touchpoint.health. Also rate, review, subscribe wherever you happen to listen over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the like. We would love for you to also sign up for our weekly newsletter, the TPS Report, a lot of uh, aggregated news from around the industry coming from the very show host. Again, special thanks uh, certainly to our listeners, our sponsors, and uh, we're going to take a quick pause and we'll be right back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. A couple of episodes ago, Reed, we were talking about always-on marketing, and we were talking about also a few episodes prior to that about the structuring of the new marketing department. And if I recall, actually those two episodes came up high in the user-voted list for last year. They did. They absolutely do. People love Agile. Agile was certainly part of that conversation, for sure. And we talked a lot about Agile marketing and and different approaches to restructuring the way you actually accomplish your work as a marketing department. And today, we are going to get deep into Agile marketing, the Agile methodology, and also bust some of the myths around Agile. Well, there you go. And to start, let's let's revisit. I know, like uh, we just mentioned, we've talked about this previously as a topic a time or two and, and sort of certainly mentioned it a number of times across different episodes. But very quickly, the Agile methodology is a type of project management process. This isn't about digital per se uh, or even marketing for that matter. Uh, it came out of the software development world, which I guess is analogous to some degree. It's where demands and solutions evolve throughout a collaborative effort across different teams. So if you think about starting a project and you've got a lot of different people from around the organization and you're getting input from those different teams and the customers, and this is like a collaborative effort, that's kind of where where Agile comes in. So you can see how this lines up nicely with software development. 
as uh, you know, you're building things and the spec continues to change as the need continues to change. It not only emphasizes collaboration, Reed, but it also emphasizes flexibility, continuous improvement or iterative improvement, and actually results. One of the things that's really important about this is, is that you're actually delivering something early that you can then iterate and improve on. There's an interesting article we found which talked about just the overview of Agile methodology, where it came from. It even gets into the Agile manifesto, which we're not going to talk about today. But one of the things they, they outlined in this article, which I thought was important, are six main deliverables that are used within an Agile project management environment to track progress and actually create solutions or products. So the first one, uh, much like any project, quite honestly, um, this doesn't have to be agile. This is actually probably a pretty good practice in general, uh, but it's creating a vision statement. Uh, and in this case, a product vision t- statement is what they call it. And that's a summary that, that articulates uh, the goals for the product or the project, I guess, uh, depending on what it is that you're doing. We always talk about the need to understand what the goal is, you know, when you're talking about digital marketing or some initiative. Well, this is no different. Clearly, everything should start with a vision statement, but in a lot of times in the marketing suite, we don't start so much with that. We know that we're trying to accomplish anything. I think this is a good practice for anything that you do is create that vision statement. The other thing that's an important part of this project management process is creating a a roadmap or a product roadmap. It's interesting because this is a little bit different than the old school project management where you would create a series of specific steps to get to the end goal. This one is more the product roadmap in an agile environment is more of a high level view of the requirements that are needed to achieve whatever that product or solution is that we outlined in the vision. So it's less about the steps and more about the requirements that are needed. When we hear the word roadmap, you're probably thinking steps, right? Like A to B, B to C, et cetera, uh, which I guess is maybe part of it. But I think the requirements is an interesting defining piece of that. The next one on here is the product backlog. Uh, So ordered by priority, this is a full list of what is needed to be done to complete your project. This is very tactical, right? So I mean, like all the things that ultimately have to be done to get to the finish line, to fulfill, to fulfill the vision statement, if you will. A couple of things about the backlog, though. First of all, anytime you use the word backlog, it feels like you're backed up, <laughs> yeah. like you're behind, behind. right? <laughs> we haven't even started, I'm behind. Yeah. <laughs> There's a spirit of that. Like, yes, you want to know what, what is needed to get into this. That is your backlog. But the other thing is, is as you go through your project and you develop it in an iterative way, that backlog continually gets updated. It can be revised. It's unlike where you try to map out all the steps needed to get to the very end. At the beginning, you're actually continuously changing your backlog as the project develops. The other piece of this is uh, the release plan. That's the timetable for the release of a working product. Now, the release plan also is not specifically like, we're going to get this done on you know January 15th or whatever it is. The release plan is actually a staged iterative release. We're going to get this component of the functionality done here. Then we're in the next four weeks, we're going to be working on this project, etc. It's less of like, a, here's the ETA when we're going to go to market. It's more of the release plan as we go through the project. I'm nervous already. Like I'm already behind. I have, <laughs> I have a backlog to a roadmap, like a release plan, you know, the whole deal. Then you have uh, next thing they, they talk about is a sprint backlog. So here we are. We're already behind again. This is uh, the user stories or requirements, goals, tasks. They're all linked uh, to that current sprint. So I guess this is kind of a sub backlog of the primary backlog. <laughs> In in a sense, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And it's really related to the functional pieces of work. So one of the things, you know, use the word sprint. We've heard that before. A sprint is actually that period of time of development. It could be two weeks. It could be four weeks, whatever it is. But within that sprint, you have requirements or as they call it in agile user stories and goals and tasks that are linked to getting that sprint completed. And that's your backlog as you enter into that one specific sprint. And then lastly is the increment, the functionality that is presented to the stakeholders at the end of the sprint. Remember, iterative. So let's say, for example, you're building a tool about online appointment scheduling. So you may have at first stand up uh, in the first sprint, the capability of exposing the calendar of the doctor's 
online. That may be just within that first sprint. And so at the end of the first sprint, your increment is we're going to be able to access the calendars. And then in the next one, it may be, you know, developing other tools related to that, et cetera, et cetera, as you build out to the finally the end goal. Makes total sense. And I think looking at that in that incremental sense maybe reduces some of the um, anxiety around the backlog. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, well, I, I'm kidding, but I'm not really kidding. But the incremental piece, it, you know, it's that kind of like, you know, how do you eat an elephant type thing? Because a lot of these projects are very complex. And this gives you a way to, number one, get the constant feedback from the stakeholders, be able to provide and show that incremental uh, progress throughout the project. This article also mentions some of the Agile methodologies, best practices. There's a number of them here. We're going to focus in on a couple of them. I think this might be helpful, too, to get a good understanding of how to be efficient with Agile. And so one of the first ones is, read, customer collaboration is important. A consistent communication between the people actually doing the work and the customer that's going to be the recipient of that work should always be there. Now, it doesn't mean that the customer is sitting over your shoulder as you're developing stuff, right, or you're creating things. That could get kind of annoying. But in this particular case, it means that you're regularly going back, collaborating with them and saying, we built this. How does it feel? And that's like typically what happens at the end of a sprint is where you have that kind of that circle back with the client. In that increment. Some check-ins, certainly. Yeah. I mean, obviously you don't want to get to the very end and everybody go, yeah, this isn't really what I was looking for. You get three degrees off at one point. Well, by the end, you're you're vastly different than what the thought process was uh, going in. So uh, those, those check-ins are, are great. Another best practice they talk about is uh, user stories. So a tool used to explain a software feature from an end user's perspective. The purpose of the user story is to create a simplified description of a requirement. I think this is really fascinating because we're used to doing things like this in like, say, persona development, right? Like you're looking at it from a, like, who is this person? What are they looking for? You know, some of those types of things. And so I think it's ever important, certainly through the collaboration piece, but also using these types of things to guide that development, looking at the end user's perspective. Another best practice here, Reed, is continuous integration. And that is never leaving anything unintegrated at the end of the day. It really enables the delivery of a product version suitable for release at any moment, which is interesting. This really speaks to the fact that you're actually developing things that are getting out there early and you're able to test it, put it into marketplace, try it out with the customers, again, to see if you're meeting with that end user story their perspective, what they want. And it also allows you to any given point in time to pivot and do something new. Next, they talk about uh, pair programming, which involves one programmer driving, if you will, uh, operating the keyboard, actually uh, doing the, uh, the programming itself, while the other navigates, watches, learns, provides feedback, etc. Only problematic is if you have one programmer. <laughs> yeah, that is true. But really, it involves like, the program team. And what I mean by that is you want to make sure that you're not dependent on just one programmer, that multiple people that are part of your effort can pick up that work. If, let's say, for example, that programmer shows up sick that day, or there's a, a key piece of functionality, and it, that programmer needs some additional help. And programmer is a loose term, because re- remember, this is software related, software development related, sure. it could be anyone on the, on the project team. Another piece, another best practice is around test-driven development or TDD, another three-letter acronym for us, Reed. Oh boy. I'm going to start keeping a running list of these <laughs> by my desk. <laughs> uh, so TDD or test-driven development is a repetition of very short development cycles or sprints where requirements are turned into test cases and then is improved to pass new tests. So basically what you're doing is you're building functionality along the way. And what can happen oftentimes is you're going towards a goal, you create one thing and it suddenly might change slightly or dramatically how to get to the end of the the project itself. So this test-driven development allows you to create up, stand up functional pieces of whatever project you're working on and testing it and iterating on it along the way. Finally, uh, burn down charts. This is where you just scrap it and start over. No, I'm kidding. It's a graphical representation of the work. What it, you know, basically, what is left versus uh, the time that's left. You know, how much do you have left to do versus like when does this thing need to see the light of day? So, 
probably something that we should spend more time on. I, you know, people that are visual, certainly this is a, probably a great tool for them. When I first heard of this term, I thought it was burnout charts because <laughs> it feels like this could really lead to burnout really quickly, but no, but in this case, it's like burned down. So you know what's left, how much time is left. It gives you a better sense. And it also, by the way, teaches you how to predict how much time you will need for your next sprint because you're actually learning how much of an effort it will take to get something done. So how does this apply to marketing? Number one, the need for flexibility, I think, drives us down a path of having to act in a more agile uh, type environment, the way we run our teams, the way we hire people and their skill sets and the, and the way that they're willing to participate within the department. And then to the fact that there's, you know, it talks a lot, you know, when we talked about this uh, definitionally in, in the beginning, it's talking about cross-functional teams and even ones that self-organize. And so you think about that. We've talked about the blurring of the lines between marketing and quality or marketing and IT or you know whatever it means. We're going to have to look from a project management standpoint. Well, how do we make sure that we're getting things to market? We're getting things out. We're, we're taking into account uh, you know, what consumers' feedback is. This is a smart way to think about, well, how do we run and operate our departments? I happen to found an article by Kenzie and company, where they actually wrote a whole breakdown, a step-by-step guide of agile marketing. And why don't we, after this break, dive in a little bit deeper into what they suggest. Let's do that right after this break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right. So before the break, we talked a lot about what it is. And now let's talk about, you know, how we actually put that into practice. So you mentioned, uh, you know, McKinsey article, step-by-step guide that you had found. Let's jump in and take a look at a few of these things and talk about what does that actually mean for us in our day-to-day. Well, before we even get started, you have to have a number of prerequisites in place for an agile marketing team to work, at least according to this article. And so let's talk about those first. The first one, and probably the most important, is a clear sense of what you want your agile marketing team to accomplish using this agile initiative. You know, what customer segments you want to acquire or what customer decision journeys you want to improve. You have to have a clear sense. And remember, we talked about before the product vision statement. This is almost like the agile marketing vision statement that you need to have in place. I know it sounds uh, pretty elementary, like, hey, before you get started, like you should know what you want to do. And everybody's going, yeah, yeah, no, I got that. It's like, how often are we just doing stuff? So even like, how do you work this sense of accomplishment, like what is going to happen into the request that you're, you know, you're being reactive in a lot of cases, you know, how do you work this in? So it's all things that we have to think about as we're doing our work, especially as we're bringing in new team members or other departments, et cetera. Another one they talk about here as a prerequisite is uh, sufficient data. Uh, even analytics, uh, right? Kind of marketing technology infrastructure. So can you, and I think what they're getting at here is, you know, can you actually determine and see, you know, where it is that you're headed and, you know, does that align with what that accomplishment uh, means or is for the organization, right? Right. And this doesn't just mean you need a project management software tool like Jira or whatever. I mean, that certainly helps for sure for tracking, but you need data and analytics to, sh- to ensure that whatever you're doing is actually impacting the customer. Remember, customer involvement is a clear part of this. So that data, the analytics, whatever it may be, you want to make sure you, you can understand how you're measuring success and you have the tools in place so you can measure that success. The last prerequisite they outline here is that you need sponsorship and stewardship of the shift to Agile by a senior marketing leader within your organization. 
to provide key resources and crucial support when the new ways of working encounter inevitable resistance within the organization. That's not to be understated, right? You are doing marketing differently now, and you want to make sure that you have leadership in place to kind of overcome the natural hurdles that will come. I think that's really important. And it kind of leads into, you know, after we get through the prerequisites, kind of the table stakes, if you will, they talk about the most important item being people. And and like, seriously, if you don't take anything else from this, like you've got to hone into this point because there's no way to do this, obviously, without people. But the idea of bringing together a small team of people that work together at speed, that are flexible, all this kind of stuff, certainly, yes, there are certain skills they should possess. This They talk about that, that they're released from their like day-to-day or their business-as-usual day jobs to work together full-time. I don't know that that happens. I'm not sure that that can, can realistically happen, especially in some smaller organizations. You can't just all of a sudden take you know, five FTEs to go do something else full time and like expect for that to get backfilled. Like that's probably just not a a proposition that anybody's going to buy off on. So you've got to think, well, okay, well then how does this work then? You overlook the three letter acronym in the middle of that, the business as usual or the BAU. Oh man. Okay. Hang on. (laughs) I'm making notes here. (laughs) Got a, a list started. But typically, I mean, it typically involves when you get this team together to do this, right? What you need to do is you need to bring them into a place where they can actually do the work. So they're not distracted. They call that a war room. They could call it a tribe. They've called it a pod. They call it a variety of different things. But basically, you need to have this room together. And the team, by the way, also needs to be a little bit smaller than you typically think. Eight to 12 is the maximum size, they say, for the team to be accountable for doing this. It's what Jeff Bezos calls the two pizza team. That is a team that can be fed by two pizzas. He thinks 12 people can be fed by two pizzas? <laughs> not sure. How big are these pizzas? I mean, are we talking, is this one of those like, you know, novelty size pizzas? They're like, they're, uh, if you finish it, it's free kind of thing. Anyway. Uh, sorry, I'm getting sidetracked on the pizza thing, but I think that's uh, I think that is an interesting. Uh, anyway, you got to kind of come with your own definition, right? And based on the size of the organization, it could be three people, it could be uh, twenty people. But you know, to the point that you just said, it's got to be small enough that like people can't coast or not really have any assigned duties, if you will. Clear accountability is what they call it. Exactly. Uh, so let's pivot just a little bit and and talk about what they actually do. Like, what are these teams? What does an agile marketing team actually do? Well, they do agile, right? No, um, actually. Right. <laughs> well, so there's there's this article from McKinsey outlines a number of things. The first is to align with leadership and set team expectations. Uh, you have to work really closely with leadership to understand what you're trying to accomplish. And you also then have to set team expectations so everybody knows their role on the team. Mm -hmm. That's an important thing. Uh, If you're going to be in this sort of agile, collaborative environment, you have to understand what everybody else is doing so you're as efficient as possible. Again, back to your point about making sure that everyone knows what they're doing, there's this high level of accountability to this team. So you want to make sure that you're setting those expectations. And again, having that smaller team and clear expectations allow the expectations to mean something in this case. They also analyze data to identify what the opportunities are uh, in the particular project or within the organization. Again, having Google Analytics, probably not good enough, or just checking in on your Facebook insights and things like that. Now, all that stuff is data, certainly, and there's a lot of other data within the marketing organization and within the organization itself, but you guys start asking yourselves uh, around data. Well, what what should we be looking at? Not what have we historically looked at? So if you look at that's what strategic planning does, or that's patient experience, you know the the experience office or whatever it is, probably need to revalidate some of that stuff. It doesn't mean that they don't they're not the owners, but you should be taking a lot of that stuff into account to really understand what the opportunity is. 
Another bit of data that you need is data from the team itself that they're operating and they're working to get things done. That's why they have daily stand-up meetings where they talk to one another. Uh, that really gives you insight into how progress is being made. Data is key to, to Agile. Uh, another thing that they do is they design and prioritize tests. With this whole concept, we mentioned it before about a hypothesis, where you create a hypothesis about what you're trying to do, and then you test the way that the work that you're doing is to get there. For each hypothesis, a team designs a test method, defines KPIs, and then generates a test and then measures against that test to make sure you're getting there. Now, it could be, you know, you're building an improved approach to the website. It could be that you're building better access to the patient portal. Whatever it might be, you have to design and prioritize tests and try them out in an iterative way. Along those lines, you got to run these tests like in one, two week sprints, as, as we've talked about to this point, because that gives you that validation, whether what you're doing is working, not working, you get some feedback at that point. So you're not six months down the road or launching something. And it's like, yeah, this is not what we were wanting. This doesn't fulfill <laughs> that initial vision. And then lastly, these tests are so important because they actually get you some results and that can help you lead to iterating the idea that you're created. And that's the last point here, which is iterating the idea based on results. You have to have tracking mechanisms in place to quickly report on performance of each test and then review those findings and decide how to scale those tests to move forward or maybe go a different path or stop and try a different approach all, all together. These tests to prioritize the future work from that point forward. And that's the spirit of the iterative approach to agile marketing. I'd be curious on how people are thinking about their departments. Um, you know, how, how are people working together? Uh, we're, you know, we don't just have the social media person anymore, or don't have the webmaster. That's not really a thing anymore. So how are we working even amongst other departments to you know, kind of build out that vision and trying to understand and, and be agile about the way that we, we do our work. Well, and agile sounds really good. Agile marketing sounds like an awesome future forward approach to your organization. But for organizations that have actually implemented agile in their day-to-day -day life, there may be some things that are myths or misnomers about agile marketing that you think about when you get into it. And so I had the, the privilege to sit down with Alyssa Kleinman from Cypher Health and talk about how her team implemented Agile, her marketing and communications team, and some of the things that they found, which, you know, before they started, ended up not being that. So let's give, uh, after this break, let's give it a little listen, and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert section of the podcast. And today I am talking to someone that was introduced to me by a good friend. And I've had a couple conversations with her already. Enough to know that she's an expert at the topic at hand today. And that's Alyssa Kleinman. Alyssa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. A lot of people listening in may not know a lot about you. Can you share a little bit about your background and your experience? So my background is in B2B marketing, and I'm actually currently the VP of demand generation at Cypher Health. So really in my role and uh, in my career, been very focused on making sure that we stay top of mind for buyers, but not only that they're aware of what we do, but that they want to buy and purchase some of our technologies. Uh, I've you know worked in mobile advertising as well. And, uh, you know, I've really found a real passion in healthcare marketing and uh, what we're doing over at Cypher Health. Can you tell people a little bit more about that? So Cypher Health, we partner with healthcare organizations to engage patients inside and outside of the hospital. And we do this by providing technologies that are designed to foster meaningful experiences uh, by allowing patients the opportunity to express concerns. And then on the flip side, empowering providers to address them as quickly as possible. So you may have heard of some of our uh, technologies in the form of digital rounding applications or patient outreach that is really used across the country to improve outcomes and elevate patient and family experiences. You and I were connected because I posted something on LinkedIn, a story about agile marketing. And I kind of asked out to my audience, 
Uh, is anyone ever enabled agile marketing within their marketing communication sales departments before? Because I really wanted to get a good sense of that. You were uh, referenced to me as like a, a person that might be a good um, expert on this. And I come to find out that you've implemented agile at your organization. Is that right? That's correct. So tell us a little bit about that. Like what, let's start at the beginning. Jump back to when it first started to come around and and how did you start to learn about it? Being in the B2B marketing world and being closely aligned with what happens in the product team, I'd heard of agile processes before, scrum masters, all of these really funny technical terms, but never really dove into what it meant or how it could be applied. And uh, about a year ago, it was presented to me and my team by a wonderful and really expert marketer. His name's Mike DiPietro. And he came in and he said, well, have you ever heard about Agile for marketing? You know, at that point, I couldn't even imagine something that developers utilize is something that could apply to a marketing team, you know, very different functions. But as we kind of peeled back the layers of, you know, what's Agile comprised of, Uh, there's a lot of benefit that product teams realize that also marketing teams can realize as well. So your developers, your, the people that are on the back end that typically know agile and scrum and all that stuff, they've been using that for years. And then suddenly you're being introduced to these concepts. I can imagine that must be pretty confusing to you. It definitely was, you know, especially as you start hearing terms like scrum, you're like, who came up with this? This is just doesn't even sound fun, at least if, if you're not a rugby fan. It's one of those processes where uh, once you kind of pull back all of the, the layers of the name itself, it becomes much more simplified. And at first, it seemed a little overwhelming. Well, how do we, how do we start changing the way we work to fit this method? But after, after a few weeks, maybe, you know, really even after the first two weeks, we really realized how special this process could be. And uh, the team was really bought into it. So you mentioned pulling back the layers. What did you start to discover? What was the first things? I I mean, I get that Agile is sort of project management, and we all do project management in our work. But where did it start to initially resonate with you in those first two weeks? As you start to discuss Agile, it's important to understand, well, what are you really trying to achieve by changing how you work? The benefits that we were trying to achieve was just being able to better prioritize our work and create transparency for what we're working on, why we're working on it, and when we would work on it. I'm sure any marketers listening can understand where, you know, so many people have great ideas and and suggestions for what you could be doing, programs you could be running. It's really hard when you want to be a pleaser and you want to engage people in that uh, in that day to day effort. But at the same time, if you're always listening to those requests, you never actually get the big projects done what's important. It's not urgent, but it's still important to do. And so that in and of itself is one of the biggest benefits of Agile is that you can really develop that sense of transparency into when things would happen and also help you and your own team prioritize your work. So that by far was the best piece that we were really trying to achieve and uh, the biggest focus that we had initially. With every marketer, myself included, I have a hard time prioritizing all my work. I have a hard time actually knowing what's more important over what's, you know, how, how other things are important. How does Agile help you with the prioritization? When you look at uh, an Agile process, you break things down into with the larger, those big projects that you're talking about that you want to get done. They're called epics. For us, that may be uh, launching a new advertising campaign that's going to span multiple digital channels. This is something that'll take place over a series of months, both in the preparation and execution, and then the analysis. And so our epics are going to be tied directly to what our company's goals are. So that's the biggest, uh, I think, piece here is that you can really develop what's the most important thing to work on, because ideally you're connecting with, well, what's the most important thing to the organization? For you, I, I know in the past you've talked about aligning with patient experience. If that's a goal of, your organization, your team, you'll want to make sure that you're prioritizing that work that aligns to that goal and helps you really meet those key metrics and those deliverables that that tie back to that. It really helps to see, oh, this project, I'd love to do it, but it doesn't really tie back to what we're supposed to be doing as an organization. 
So I'm going to actually deprioritize that in favor of this patient experience campaign. So do you guys set up criteria against it? Or I mean, and the reason, again, the reason why I'm asking is that within a marketing department at a hospital or health system, it might be hard for us to align with, should we do cardiac promotion, you know, heart care promotion over cancer promotion? I mean, how would you, how would you assess that? The biggest thing is to bring those stakeholders right to the table with you. Have them help you understand what are they prioritizing? Because when you do that, you might find that actually the cardiac department, they're totally overwhelmed with visits right now. And instead, you really should be helping what's happening in orthopedics. By bringing stakeholders to the table, and you can do this, uh, it's recommended at a quarterly basis, so that you have everyone involved that helps add that transparency and really opens up the conversation to what, what should the marketing team be focused on? And then by bringing those folks, having them involved, you're opening that dialogue. And that's sometimes the most important piece that you could do is just make sure that you keep those informed and that they have a seat at the table too. Putting them at the table, that is something that marketers don't do a lot of, at least in my, my experience. It's hard. Because suddenly now they come to the table with their set of requirements. Maybe they're even their thoughts about how best to do this. Well, you know, in, in our world, we often say that MD behind the doctor's name stands for marketing director. <laughs> how do you, you know, balance um, and, and gather their input, have them engage in a productive way at the table? I think that also stems to, you know, where do you start? And for us, we started by really trying to involve executive stakeholders first before moving down into maybe uh, what would be the equivalent of a service line director, director in the hospital. So for us, starting at the C-suite, and then you know it took probably four quarters before we were really ready to bring people maybe more at the VP or managerial level back with us. You don't limit, but you more focus your efforts because that allows you to be tied and more tightly aligned with what's happening at the C-suite. And they're going to be hopefully pushing those bigger overarching strategic goals that if you know that your team and what you're doing aligns well with that, it makes it much easier to bring more team members to the table because hopefully they're aligned with that too. You're describing this as like quarterly meetings with executives and it took almost a year. A lot of times when I hear agile, I think about that as being something very fast, you know, two week sprints, that sort of thing. Am I mistaken in terms of, does Agile make you faster too? It can. I think sometimes it's more asking the question, well, what are you being fast in doing? I think any marketer we always struggle with. Uh, There's so many great, cool things out there to do, new technologies to implement, new ideas to explore, you know, you're creative, we're having fun. And, uh, you know, if you can help focus your efforts, you're going faster, but you're going faster in the right direction. And you're helping the whole organization move in that same, uh, at that same pace. So I think something that's been brought up uh, for us quite a bit is, well, what does this tie back into? Why are you doing this? Is it because this is going to help bring more deals to the table? Or is it because you just think it's cool? And so if you can kind of take a step back and say, well, what's the ultimate goal of what we're trying to achieve? And uh, really bring folks together to uh, break down, well, what is it going to take to get there? It really does create a much better system in the long run, because then at least you're moving fast towards a direction everyone's bought into. I think I'm getting this now. Um, I'm not confusing the Agile with being speed. It's actually being more efficient. Exactly. But still, you need to know what your ultimate goal or your epic, as you say, right, is so you can align those activities to that epic or to those epics, so to speak. Um, and I'm very careful to say that because epic in our world means something entirely different, <laughs> which, by the way, side note, probably not such an agile organization. How do you know that the creative things that you're going to be doing or those different activities that you're going to be doing actually hit the bottom line? Do you have to be really rigid about measurement? Um, tell me a little bit about how you find KPIs in this process. Uh, I think similar to what you're doing already in your marketing efforts. And I think that's something that's maybe an agile myth is that you have to change everything that you're doing, uh, which is really not the case. It's more just creating a different organizational structure for it. 
So the same KPIs that you have for your uh, day-to-day programs or you know, just overarching strategic goals that you might have as a, as a marketing team, you should still be tracking towards that with an agile, but make it a part of your tasks. So as you go into sprint planning, if you haven't measured something, make sure that you add, hey, analyze the results of uh, X campaign, whatever that looks like. That way you, you don't miss that important step. And I think the best way, at least for us, for measuring, measuring agile was really just asking the team. How do you feel that this is going for you? And for us, it was so immensely positive that we knew we had to just keep investing in this time. And it started to become second nature for us very quickly and has helped us really optimize how we work as a team. So you just said that you don't need to redesign your team. So you're not a certified scrum master or anything like that, Alyssa? Some days I think I am, but I have not gone through that official training. Was your team ever trained on how to use these tools? Like I mentioned before, we have our product team also works within Agile processes. And they already had a technology that they use. Um, so we were able to get onto their system fairly quickly. We didn't go through a sourcing process or anything like that. Um, and you know, it's very apparent that the tool is not meant for marketers, but it's easy enough for us to work within those boundaries. Just given that for us, it's, it's a guideline versus needing to be super technical with everything that we do. You know, we use uh, t-shirt sizes to measure the size of a project, small, medium, large. So it makes it, makes it simple, uh, but it's not a perfect science. Took a few trainings for us. We had, as I mentioned before, a consultant come in who's extremely knowledgeable about how this has worked before and was not rigid and you have to do it this way. It's, this is a recommendation, but you may do it differently based on how your team offer, operates. For example, his suggestion is to always have tasks be action-oriented. Instead of say saying blog post, you would say draft blog post on uh, upcoming flu appointments. Something a little more actionable uh, and action-oriented to make sure that you're tied back to your goals. Another suggestion, uh, for example, is to make your epics goal-oriented. But for us, that became a little too wordy, so it's kind of a mix between easily searchable versus goal-oriented. When was that moment where you started to think about things a little bit different? For us, being goal-oriented itself had been a mind shift that we were already on that journey. This helped us reinforce that on a more consistent basis. You know, we would start documents with, well, what's what's our goal? Why are we doing this? But now instead of just starting a document that way, it's starting a task that way before you even open the document, knowing why you're going back to it. But I think really for us, outside of just that goal orientation, it's a matter of what what is your capacity to get something done? And uh, it's pretty incredible when you first start this process. Every time we have a new team member that gets onboarded, they always put in way more into their sprint than anyone could ever complete in a two-week time frame. The biggest learning is, well, really, what can I get done in two weeks? You know, maybe some weeks you have, some sprints you have tons of meetings. So you really shouldn't commit to getting so much done because your capacity is still only 100%, but maybe 50% of that is being eaten up by those meetings. And that might be another myth here of Agile that we're busting, so to speak, because I think that a lot of times you want to load up your sprint with all these actions. And then as you roll into a new sprint, you have a huge backlog of things that are going to keep you busy. But you're saying that, each sprint operates at a different pace depending on variety of things. Exactly, exactly. You know, as uh, in my role as pseudo scrum master, I always have to ask the question before you even commit to what can be in your sprint is what is your capacity? And of course, there are things like vacations, whether that's company-wide or personal. But then on the flip side, it's, hey, you, you, you sound a little sniffly today. Do you think you might have a cold and things might come up in the next couple of weeks? You have to really kind of look at what is someone's real capacity from a different perspective than just what might be on their calendar. So your role as a pseudo scrum master is also you're like a nurse. <laughs> I, those, those nurses are superheroes. I'm not even close to that, but uh, <laughs> I try to be helpful. But, but all those are factors in how you're deciding the capacity. And I think that's the hardest thing. And even today, as I sit here talking to you, I'm not really sure what my capacity would be. When you started this, were you kind of 
a good estimator of your capacity? Or did you suddenly, after doing this for a while, learn how to do this better? Oh my gosh, I'm still horrible at at knowing my capacity. You know, you never really know what might come up. And I think maybe this is a myth, but you really shouldn't max out your sprint. You shouldn't aim for a hundred percent because we all know that there's that pop-up meeting that comes in or that email that that will flood your inbox or Twitter went down for the day and you're running around trying to figure out what you need to do to get back up. There's always going to be that 20 to 25% that you really just can never plan for. So if you ever try to do capacity planning and you're shooting for that 100%, you're always going to end up feeling behind. So it's really a difficult thing, I think, for, for most marketers to get their heads around, which is don't plan every minute. Well, you know, I think that as marketers... We overcommit. That's a natural thing. We just want to be there. We want to help. I think it's what you talked about earlier as being sort of the pleasing part of what we do. Exactly. Um, we want to do a great job. And overcommitting also is, in many organizations, many cultures uh, in, in, an, in a company, committing to a lot of things shows that you have drive and you have desire. When, when others start to do their planning, what other tips do you give them the 25% rule is great. What other rules do you give them? You know, I think it goes back to challenging each other in a very productive way. Uh, and especially if you're someone that is a manager or you're, you know, acting in, as a pseudo scrum master, it's okay to, to say, hey, you know, why is this in your sprint? You know, question so that you're doing it in a respectful way. But what you're really trying to get to is, is this something that is either important or urgent enough to make it into the sprint and make it into what's a part of your capacity. And then you almost have to flip the culture, not on its head, but you have to encourage positive behaviors that allow people to have more flexibility within what goes on in a sprint. There are some folks that are very strict about what goes into the sprint versus what doesn't versus uh, the way that you know our team likes to operate, which is more you know, if something gets added into the sprint, that's fine. But you got to take something else out because you have to have that balance. I also like the idea of where you're very positive and proactive, encouraging people to be more uh, accurate, right, with the work and the capacity that they can do. That's something, again, in health systems that I've worked at, not a lot of marketers get together and do that, right? Or not a lot of marketing teams get together and kind of, you know, give feedback on one another. Hey, you know, you really overcommitted this week and you weren't able to accomplish this or, or whatever. Was that a learning for your team as well? You know, we have a, a, a pretty open and transparent culture at the entire company. So for us, we didn't feel like we were behind in that. But I think similar to what you've, you've touched upon, which is that idea of overcommitting. Or maybe even it's coming across barriers. For us, this might sound crazy, but we actually try every day to get together for 10 to 20 minutes to uh, do what we call stand-up. It's meant to be really quick about what have you completed uh, since the last stand-up and what will you complete before the next one. And a big part of that is actually to uncover barriers. That could be something as simple as, hey, we are sponsoring a conference coming up and we don't have anyone to take the place of so-and-so. Well, all right, how are we going to address that? So that that isn't something that's holding someone else up that you might be able to address and help help them break that barrier down and address that challenge. So as marketers, even if you aren't used to engaging with someone, you'd be so surprised at how much you could help them if you just knew what they were struggling with. Uh, has your team change? I mean, was there suddenly new people showing up? You yourself call yourself a pseudo scrum master. Do you have like new members on the team when you moved over to Agile or is it the same people? No, you know, we've, we've onboarded some new folks and uh, that was definitely interesting because we had all gone through one training together, learning what are the types of things that people might not be super aware of, what's not intuitive about the process. The first time that we had someone new to the process, we learned really quickly that there were those little tips and tricks that we had learned along the way that we had to do a better job of proactively, not just telling, but also showing. So I think uh, we had had a new team member join not too long ago. And it was probably their fourth or fifth sprint. So, you know, they'd been on the team for a couple of months. All of a sudden, 
we looked and we said, you know, you're not supposed to, to book 100% of your sprint. Her eyes got so big and she goes, oh my gosh, I was going crazy because I just kept thinking I could never accomplish all of this. So we were able to take a step back and say, yes, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you're committed to, you know, five hours of meeting a week. You got to account, account for those types of things. When you first hear that, if you're not comfortable with that kind of open dialogue, you might get a little bit threatened by that if you weren't in this agile environment, right? Which is designed to have that constructive criticism. Is that fair? Exactly. And I think one of those big myths, you know, big agile marketing myths, if you will, is that if it's just the marketing team doing it, only the marketing team has to know about it. And even now for us, not just when we have new people join the marketing team that are a part of the agile process, as we have new members of the greater Cypher Health organization, when we give them an introduction to the marketing team, we always talk about how we work in sprints. We don't necessarily go into the entire agile methodology, but we give them an idea for how we operate and how their requests and feedback fit into that overall structure. That is something that sounds both intuitive, but also very hard at times, because if you're trying to implement this in an organization that isn't agile, there might be a lot of resistance. Absolutely. You know, you go from being a, a, a team of people trying to accommodate requests, it must sometimes feel like immediately where you drop everything you're doing to accommodate someone else and their idea. And it takes a little while to, to shift away from that, where you're used to responding immediately, you might need to respond and say, great, I'll let you know how this goes during our next sprint planning session. I've always wanted to say something like that. I will get to it when I'm ready, but you're saying it actually in a more formal process kind of approach, right? <laughs> exactly. What other myths that we haven't covered today? I think it might be a myth that Agile is, is cumbersome to implement. It definitely takes time, but I think really with the right resources and the right amount of support, it can be really easy. And part of that is making sure you're being thoughtful about how you roll it out and making sure that you are learning as you're doing it. Because it sounds to me like it didn't really gel until you know a couple months in. Is that right? Exactly. No, you're 100% correct. And we work in an environment that is forward-thinking and innovative. Cypher Health is very supportive of every person at the company to try new things. So we already had an advantage starting. But then as a team, our culture is fostering learning and the ability to, to learn as you go. Not everything has to be perfect the first time around. And so with Agile, it's the same thing. You're completely changing a process and how you operate. So it was a very open dialogue between everyone on the team to say, well, what did you learn this week? And I think even, even today, when we talk about how did your last two weeks go when, when we start doing sprint planning, it's, you know what, I really, I bit off way more than I could chew. Or, hey, I actually had a ton of stuff pop up that's not in my sprint, and I really wish I had been a better planner for it. So even today, we're still very open about what could we have done to make the last two weeks better or our sprint better reflect what our capacity is. Yeah, that's that culture of always learning and, and I guess, failing forward. Freedom to fail as well. Freedom to fail. I like that a lot. I, I wish more times in my life I had the freedom to fail. <laughs> Don't we all? You brought up uh, the idea of, of learning and I know in the uh, adult learning uh, episode you just um, you just had a few weeks ago. Um, you know, I think what's interesting about agile is that it also supports that learning in a few ways. Uh, one of them is that you know learning is so important in any role, in any time you're developing your career or skill sets. It can be so hard to prioritize the training or maybe the projects that help you learn and grow. And that's one thing that Agile allows you to do is to prioritize some of that learning, that career development. But then on the flip side, you actually have a visual representation about your capacity and what you've accomplished. It's that visual to-do list almost on steroids. So those are two ways that I think Agile really does support that learning idea, uh, both in your career, but also in what you're doing and is it being effective. 
those are some really good tips. And I really appreciate the time that you spent today sharing with us uh, your own personal journey around um, Agile. You know, clearly it shows that at Cypher Health, you guys are doing some really interesting, great things there, not only in your marketing department, but also in your, your product department. If people want to learn a little bit more about you and also Cypher Health, what's the best way for them to reach you online, Alyssa? Best way to reach us, of course, is through our website, and that's cypherhealth.com, which I know that you guys will have in the show notes. And then if if you're looking to reach me, you're definitely welcome to reach out to me via email, which is just alyssa at cypherhealth.com. Well, Alyssa, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, It's great. It's not often that I have a pseudo scrum master that I could talk to, and we got really geeky, and I really appreciate the in-depth conversations we had about Agile. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure being on the show today and uh, looking forward to speaking again soon. All right. Special thanks to Alyssa and her insights around Agile. Really cool stuff um, and appreciated her insights and expertise. We've got a couple of things coming up. We've got South by Southwest in March, which is, uh, which is going to be great. Uh, we've got obviously a uh, forum coming up. Uh, I guess it's in April and a lot of really, lot of really cool stuff. I would recommend signing up for our uh, weekly newsletter where we uh, detail all of these things that you should know about and uh, have great articles from all our show hosts uh, showcase there. You can do that over at touchpoint.health before we take off for the day. Let's do some recommendations. Reed, I'm going to recommend a series we've been binging on Netflix. I'm kind of late to the game, but over the last couple of weeks, my wife and I have been watching The Crown on Netflix. Well, so it's a really insightful and interesting dramatization about the royal family with Queen Elizabeth. And it started when she actually took control of office way back in the, you know, like the late 40s. We've watched season one and season two, which are all really good. And we just uh, over the weekend got to season three, where they completely shifted the whole cast and flash forward to them a couple of years in the process. Now, this is still the contemporary royal family. Now it's set in the 60s. It's just fascinating to see and to learn a little bit about history from this documentary. Very well acted, very fun to watch, a little bit scandalous, like like every good royal family story, and think contemporaneously of uh, what's going on with the royal family now. I can imagine that, you know, if this if the season continues with the strength that it does, that the series will, you know, have more and more episodes that can be rebooted up until the current day. So I'm going to recommend The Crown on Netflix for those of you who haven't seen it. And for those of you that have, just to let you know, I'm getting there. I've, I'm almost done watching it. So there you go. That sounds awesome. I have to check that out. I am actually going to uh, recommend an app called Confide. You can get it, you can check it out at getconfide.com. Now, this is a messaging app. So think like text messaging, instant messaging kind of thing. Uh, but it is uh, encrypted. So when you send someone a message on Confide, it comes in where every word is like covered up. Like, like blocks, right? And you have to wipe your finger down the screen to unveil one line of the text message at a time. And it will self-destruct after you've read it. And you cannot screenshot it. Oh. It's really, it's really cool. It's a cool app and it's an interesting way. Certainly, I think, you know, the government's using it and some different folks. I wonder if, and I haven't done enough research, uh, but I wonder if this might be an interesting way for organizations to communicate internally, whether that be during like a JCO site visit or, you know, physicians texting each other, that kind of thing. There is a free and a paid version. I think the paid version allows for some like attachments and those types of things. But anyway, it's a really cool, really interesting way to do it. And you can do photos, videos, documents, voice, group messaging, that kind of thing. That may Some of that may actually fall underneath the paid piece. And you can retract messages, uh, which is kind of interesting. Anyway, it's a really fascinating app that I've been uh, been playing around with. Very, very interesting. And how, why are you playing around with this? 
just trying it out? Well, I, I heard about it from Kerry Lykin over at Yext because I believe uh, there is some uh, synergy there between uh, founder and founder kind of thing. So anyway, that's how I found out about it. And then I just started kind of playing around with it. Excellent. Well, that's really cool. I, I'm not sure about the application of that, but I'm interested to try it out sometime. Well, there you go. A couple of good recommendations to uh, hit you here midweek. Uh, we appreciate uh, all the support, all the uh, listening over certainly 2019 and the great start to 2020. Uh, we would love to hear from you online. Uh, be sure to reach out to us. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you'd love to hear more of. Uh, sign up for that weekly uh, e-newsletter over at touchpoint.health. For Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.